when they used to send those magazine codes and it would be like for one cent you can get 13 cds like my sister was the one who would sign up for those and i would be like oh no i don't want to get in trouble so i was just very like safe and secure and i'm still that way today like i'd yeah, like yeah. to have money versus spending <laughs> welcome to the millennials and money podcast the podcast dedicated to encourage millennials to continue to make wise decisions with their money. We find some of the best ways to learn is through stories. So each week, your host and wealth advisor, Payne Boyer, invites a millennial guest on the show to share their money story. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. So today, I have a very special guest with me, and her name is Mrs. Miss Robin Krauss. So Robin, I'll say hello. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm going to give you a second to introduce yourself. Okay. But for that, I'd like to just kind of share the way of how you and I met. So, Robin, I think we are the definition of family friends. Yes. Um, our, uh, the Smiths are like our connection. Uh, we, we're, we grew up in the Bear, in the Bear together. I believe we met when I was like, I moved to Sacramento when I was 11, so we must have met when I was either eight or nine. Yeah. And we've been seeing each other like annually ever since. Uh, one of my earliest memories with you is um, the Christmas parties. The Smiths would have Christmas parties and we'd go over there and we'd play chess. And I, I just remember I would destroy you in chess. <laughs> Funny, I don't have that memory. So clearly I blocked out the L, but I'm sure it happened. <laughs> If I was you, I would completely erase it as well. <laughs> I'm like, my memories are more around the video games that we used to all play, strictly like whatever was on Dreamcast way back then. And yeah. there was like our pseudo babysitter, even though she was only a couple years older, so. Yeah, that, that's the Dreamcast. We played Dreamcast. <laughs> I can't remember, it's like Energy Stone or Power Stone. I, I do remember that game. Yes. <laughs> I can't remember the name yeah. either, but we go back. It is yeah, we, a long time. We, we go way back. And um, so introduce yourself. Tell them who you are, what you do for a living, some of the things that drive you, and some of your passions. Okay, thank you. So yeah, my name's Robin. Um, I live and work in the Bay in San Francisco, but I am from Elk Grove, California, originally. And I work in the healthcare business side of healthcare, specifically on the well-being space. So right now I work for a commercial insurance brokerage. I am a licensed property casualty broker, but my focus is around workplace consulting. So helping employers uh, come up with workers' comp claim strategy and workplace health and safety initiatives, specifically around well-being. So helping people live their best uh, lives with the support of their employers. And I think what keeps me passionate or what drives me is I want to be healthy and I want those around me to be healthy. And so I'm constantly uh, looking for ways to really just like promote uh, health within myself and my community. So it's nice that I get to do it for work too. Yeah, that's exciting. Health and wellness is, I, you know, I was at another, um, I was at a, speaking of a business event, uh, I believe it was last week and the guy speaking right before me was speaking on health and wellness. And I think it's such a transition, especially being this, this being the millennial, my millennial money podcast. It's something that we are so much more cognitive, cognitive about, 
than our than our counterparts as far as health and wellness and the importance of it in the workplace. Yeah, we expect it from our employers, really, because I think we give so much to work. So at minimum, our employers need to give something back to us. And that includes, you know, financial wellness. So it's been good to kind of like learn more through my own kind of obsession of taking care of myself, but also helping clients too. So when you say health and wellness, is this physical health, mental health, what does this encompass? Yeah, all of the above. So I think traditionally when people think of health and wellness, you're literally thinking like, do I feel good? Am I physically fit? You know, are my vitals in shape? But it's really about like you as a whole person. And so you're talking about financial wellness, career satisfaction, the occupational wellness, you're getting into your mental, the emotional, social connections, your community, we're a community, you know what I mean? So there's so many different dimensions and it's not just about like going to the doctor, that's a component of it, but they're all interconnected. And so, yeah, as part of like what I do in work is making sure that my clients, when they're talking about wellness from the workplace perspective, that they are looking at it holistically and really offering their employees multifaceted approaches to live healthier, happier lives. So well-being, people say like wellness, well-being, and they're often interchanged. But when you think of well-being, that's the state of being, you know, at your thriving potential as an individual. So there's a lot that goes into it, but it's all the things. It's not rocket science. Me and my sister were talking about that earlier today. Like it's all the basic things that we do, but you just don't always realize how connected they are. So, yeah. I, I like that a lot. You know, I like that, like, especially when you mentioned financial and the, 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 there's so much, it's all connected, you know, and yeah. someone put together because no one's doing it on their own. No one's connecting uh, the dots on their own. So, what you do is super important and super awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so um, back to the podcast now. <laughs> so, um, that was our wellness detour, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys need to contact uh, Robin, her contact information will be in the show notes. She'll be glad to speak at your employer's office and bring some wellness to you. Thank you for the plug. <laughs> That's a little uh, shameless plug. So, um, Back to the money podcast, you know, I find people's many times, not all the time, but many times people's overall outlook on money is formed in childhood and what they saw in the household as they grew up. Of course, it doesn't always have to stay that way, but many times that's where the seeds are planted and it has a effect on them, a lasting effect on them as they go travel into adulthood. So talk to me about your childhood and what was money like in your household as you grew up? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think when people think of being a kid and getting money, like I didn't have an allowance, or at least I don't remember one, but I was always, I mean, you know, my parents, like I was taken care of. I grew up in a middle-class household. So thankfully my parents were able to provide everything I needed. I wasn't spoiled, but I don't remember necessarily wanting for much. Um, I think my mother and my father, like I always remember them doing their bills monthly. My dad would have the big little, like back in the days where you're writing checkbooks then. So they would have all the bills spread out. They would pay their bills monthly. So that was kind of my introduction to, I guess, managing finances in a systematic way. 
And I think because my parents were pretty transparent about how they were like saving money or, you know, not frivolously spending, that definitely impacted my relationship with money as a kid. So I think I became obsessed like with having money and saving money versus spending money. And even like, you may not remember this, but Safeway way back in the day, they used to have a bank and they had really good interest rates, like probably like 8% or something, which if you think about now, what, they're in the point <laughs> oh something. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> so I remember like, yeah, I used to sell candy as a kid and I would be so excited to put it in my Safeway savings account. I had a Bank of America savings account. So for me, I guess I had an early introduction to like, the ability to earn money and save money. And I, I, I still, even now, I'm not like addicted to spending. So I definitely attribute that to my parents for just their kind of early introduction, I guess. No, that's awesome. You know, and that's something that, especially in our, in, in our community, that's it's lost many times. And I, so was your dad or your mom there talking to you about interest at, at, at a young age where you're selling candy? That's, that's impressive. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, and keep in mind, you know, I'm the middle child. So I also think I was able to learn from like my older sister's example. So she was the one who was a little bit more risky, I think. And that mm -hmm. also probably led to be to me being more conservative. So she would be the one. I feel like we're like old now because I'm like, oh, do you remember when? But when they used to send those magazine codes and it would be like for one cent, you can get 13 CDs like my sister was the one who would sign up for those. And I would be like, oh, no, I don't want to get in trouble. So I was just very like safe and secure. And I'm still that way today. Like I'd yeah, like yeah. to have money versus spending. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, you sound like a very conservative person. <laughs> I am. I was, that's kind of leads me segues to my next question. I was going to ask you, how is some of those things that you taught or you saw growing up, how has it impacted you as an adult? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like good and bad, right? So you understand like the power of saving and like making sure you have enough for what you need. That's great. So I feel like I'm good with money management, but I think where it kind of holds me back is I'm so timid sometimes with wanting to spend money down to like, I mean, I love traveling. So I don't, I don't think experiences count in the same way as like material things. Um, but I'm like, yeah, I think about just how long it takes me to sometimes to make a decision around like if I had to buy a new car, or if I had to do something that costs money, I'm a lot more shy to do so because I'm such a like a saver and a hoarder, if you will, when it comes to it. So I think I think, yeah, I look back and it's probably my mother, my father, my sister that have made me that way. Um, and so I'm just now like in adulthood, probably learning more about like, what are the things I actually care to spend my money on that I don't care about the cost, if you will, where it's not going to hurt my feelings if I spend X amount of dollars. And that's what I do. Like, that's so aligned with what I do with my clients. When I do, I do, I, I you know, it's a budget. It's a um, cash flow analysis. I call it a money purpose plan. I always say you got to get a purpose or it's going to purpose itself. And then what it comes down to is really figuring out what my clients value. So I ask my clients, like, what are the, what, why, why is money important to you? What do you value? And when you spend your money in your values, you're okay with it as opposed to just spending it. And it, it also, kind of makes the thinking about process a lot easier. Like, okay, I said I value X, Y, and Z. I'm not going to spend my money on ABC. 
Right. And just it's kind of a shift. And it sounds like you, you just when you learn to spin in your values, it makes it a lot easier. You don't overthink it too much. Yeah, I'm getting there. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? You said it's a money purpose plan. A money purpose plan. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> Uh, patent pending, by the way. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so let's talk about um, you went to school. Where'd you go to school? Was it Spelman? Or? Mm -hmm, in Atlanta, yeah. All women's yeah. liberal arts college. So yeah. Is is that a um? An uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you got it's it. That's cool. Strictly black college and university for those that that don't know. Also, the number one HBCU for about 14 years in a row now. So, wow, yeah. There you go. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have too much pride. <laughs> <laughs> one time for the plug, you know. That's right. So, um, let's talk about. I'm assuming it happened in college. I don't know. Let's talk about a time where, where you had, where you realized money was real, and like you're an adult. It's, you're in, more independent now. And, you know, I've got to make some wise decisions with my money because it's not endless. Or, you know, there's there's consequences for my actions. It seems like you've always been very pretty cautious and aware about that. Yeah. From the, let's talk about time. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's probably many times, right? But for me, I never wanted to call my parents and ask for money. So, like, I hadn't. I guess that's where I finally got an allowance, right? When I moved into an apartment, I remember my parents would give me $300 a month, which would cover my apartment rent and all of my bills, which that probably sounds like- Where were you living? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, you know, close to campus, which, you know, perhaps wasn't the best neighborhood, but keep in mind, this is what, in 2008, I think 2007, 2008. So, Many years ago, we're in Atlanta, Georgia, where the cost of housing is also a lot less than California. So $300 held me down, um, just given the time and the location. And I remember, yeah, like I had to make sure that $300 covered everything. But then more so when I moved to a different apartment where it ended up being, I needed a $600 a budget month, a $600 a month budget. And I, same thing, I was like, I don't want to ask my parents for more money. Like they've committed to giving me $300 a month. And so that's when I got a job my senior year of college. I worked as a pharmacy tech and I made up the difference. And like, I just had to be on my budgeting and make sure like, you know, fit everything within the $600 a month. Uh, there were, of course, were times I remember my Morehouse brother actually had to give me $20 cause I was like, whatever, a week short, and I was $20 short to, like, get through, and I was, you know, eating oatmeal, so that's when I learned, okay, there's a limit to, like, if you go off track with your budget, I don't know what I overspent on, but I was, I remember that was, like, a struggle, just to, like, I had to borrow money, which is not something that I like to do at all, so, yeah, I don't think I've ever borrowed money since then, <laughs> but I learned. Yeah, so you learned a lesson. It wasn't very costly, so that 20 bucks is not Probably. bad. But still, like, that's a significant amount. That's a couple meals in college days. Yeah, and it makes such a big difference to kind of just to be aware of what what you're allowing yourself to spend. Yeah. Like, and that it's you got to put these kind of restraints on you. And if you put these restraints on yourself, they feel restraining at first on your spending, but then eventually it's almost like a, the freedom you get when you realize, you know, I, I allowed myself X amount of dollars to spend 
but you know, I have, a, I have this much left. It makes a huge difference. And it, no one likes the, the process of budgeting or purposing that money. It feels a lot better to purpose your money than the budget. But still, nonetheless, no one really enjoys it, especially my business owner clients. Like, it pains them. But after a few months, they start realizing, oh, wow, this is so liberating. Yeah. It's like, I like I'm kind of obsessed with, I've gotten a little better, but I love like old school spreadsheets with budgeting. And I don't know what you use with your clients, but I would almost like create create a net savings goal. Because again, I love saving money. So yeah. I would try to like allocate my expenses and my income to figure out, okay, how can I still save whatever my X chunk of money is each month and like have the spreadsheet adjust the numbers based on what my spending is pretty effective. I still use that spreadsheet. Like anytime I get a raise at work or a promotion, whatever, I'm like, let's go update my numbers. So I like that idea a lot of when you get a raise to update numbers, I always tell my clients, like, just because your income increased, your cost of living probably hasn't. Right. And then that in your case, you're able to save a lot more when you get a raise because if you're living off of what you're getting prior to the raise. Exactly. You haven't had any children since then. You haven't bought a new house. Exactly. Your expenses shouldn't have gone up just shouldn't because be you're spending more. Yeah. Exactly. So you you sounds like you're pretty wise. Your parents have done a really good job. <laughs> they would be proud. They were like the king and queen of live below your means. So it clearly stuck with me. I'm sure it worked out for them too now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So here's an interesting, interesting question, especially with all that's going on in the country with the, with the um, COVID-19 and then things about our people and the way that they're being treated and wrongfully murdered. And it's hard to, to maintain a sense of um, certainty. Mm-hmm. And, and it's easy to maintain a sense of uncertainty. So as a young millennial, especially an African-American soul sister, what are you doing to maintain your sense of, cer- sense of certainty? Um, that's a good question. I mean, <laughs> I think for me, I just focus on what's in my control. So of course, when COVID started, and I keep in mind, right, I work in the insurance industry, which is pretty stable historically, um, but job loss can happen in any sector. So I think I had to go through my initial like fear, if you will, of wondering, especially as a consultant, how is the uh, COVID going to impact my job? Because essentially, people may not need the resources that I provide because it's kind of like a nice to have, not a business essential, you know? I may think it's a business essential, but when people are looking at budget, they may view otherwise. So, I mean, I think once I got over that kind of angst about not knowing how COVID would impact my job certainty, I kind of started just focusing on, okay, what's the value that I do bring? So I do internal wellness programming. And I think there is value in that because everybody's concerned about making sure mentally their employees, their workforce are still resilient and capable to like show up and do the work, especially under these uncertain times. So I I kind of had to shift my mentality to think about, all right, maybe there's some areas where people want to cut budget, but how can I be a value add to like the people, which is the biggest asset for a company. Um, And I think, yeah, personally, like I just 
my self-care is on point. And so I've been enjoying just like the time from home, like working out more. I'm, you know, usually the commute and having to go to clients and stuff like that takes away from the time that I can pour into myself. And so if I'm going to be at home all this time, I'm like, I have no shame getting a workout in. Normally I'm not up in the morning, but I like, I work out before work or during lunch, I'll do a workout, whatever the case. So like all of those seemingly basic things that probably everybody else was doing before that I just kind of like squeezed in, I prioritize. And I think that's helped me keep myself calm and I cook and like, I just take care of myself and, and I'm not necessarily worried about the future. It's just whatever happens will happen. And I know that I'm doing um, my part to like protect my job and be a value and find opportunities to help others. So that's okay. <laughs> that, that was an excellent answer. And just to reiterate, let me know and make sure, make sure I heard you correctly. First of all, just maintain the things that you can control. Yep. The, what you, you're going to go into, you're going to go into work, you know, think the circumstances around you have changed, but you know, you're still in control of this. Let me make, let me keep this the way I want it to go or the way it should go in. And like, I, everything goes back to the market for me. And that's what I talk to my clients about, like dollar cost averaging, con consistently contributing, say X amount, say 7% to your retirement account. Regardless of what the market's doing, you're still in control of that 7%. You're gonna buy here, you're gonna buy here, you're gonna buy high, you're gonna buy low, but you, you, you don't let, what the circumstance going around you shouldn't affect your, what you have control over. Is that kind of what you're saying? So true. Yep. Um, especially thinking about like a 401k, right? You might see your 401k tank, which we all did in like the beginning of all of this. I remember just like, wow, I've lost like half of my, I lost right half of my money. But I was like, okay, I didn't change my contribution. Like I just, you just ride it out, if you will, because I've already allocated those dollars to go to my 401k. So it's exactly what you said. Like, just let things be and I know that I had a plan and I stick with it. So that's what I tell all my clients when things like for us with the time horizon of twenty plus years till we need that money, when the market drops, guess what? We just hit a gotta sell. Everything's on sale. <laughs> yeah. oh. But um and secondly I heard you say make sure you can create value. And that's something I'm really big on. I try to bring value in everything I do as I go into a client meeting, I think Okay, I want to make sure this person leaves this meeting feel like, man, I got, I value that. What he said, I value what he said. And same thing with these podcasts. I hope all of our listeners value these. So that's one thing that you, especially in health and wellness, like, okay, here's what I, I do, do have control over how much value I put out. And this, that's kind of what I think I heard you say, like, make sure you're, I'm not sure how'd you word it. Maybe you can say it again. I mean, yeah. I think you summarized it, you know, like the value may not be in going to meet with my clients under the normal circumstances, but how can I kind of repurpose my skills? So in my case, it was helping to come up with programming for my internal team and making sure that we're coming up with solutions that'll support all of us to make sure we're, you know, well, when we come out of this, because I think that's the uncertain part. Like, in a year from now, technically I've been working from home almost six months. I've never worked from home this long in my life. So who are like, who's going to be the people that show up to work again when we can go back to the office? I don't know if we really know. So my thought was, okay, how can I help 
support that mission of keeping people like mentally resilient when I know that's what at least at my company my leaders are focused on too so and last I heard is maintain your own health personal health and wellness yeah and that's gotten me too like when I got into this career and I started really focusing on studying and trying to master this craft everything else kind of went by the wayside and like my health got bad I put on a ton of weight and since then I started working since then I started working out again eating right and I feel so much better I'm so much more productive throughout the day I have more energy and I'm just generally happier so yep. how it I know how difference what, what was that it makes a difference because it's all connected you know yeah no it really does and and I would really would like to include your contact information in the show notes where it's, if someone does need help on health and wellness, they don't know where to begin. I know you're not technically a health and wellness consultant yet, but. Well, I'm not independent, I should say, but you know, LinkedIn is the best way to find me. And yeah, I don't Sounds have good. a website. I, I don't do consulting on the side. I'm, I'm not quite, you know looking to do that but within my company happy to connect with people on that that's great that sounds great because i really said you can't create value so here's another question this is kind of funny one you know um i know as a millennial myself and a young person it's kind of hard to get to to feel successful but one thing like to ever feel what's successful and what's successful for us today might not be what it is going to be in 10 years and it probably isn't what it was five years ago. But one thing I do know is you're more successful today than you were five years or five or 10 years ago in the past. So if you had a time machine, you could go, go back in time and speak to yourself. What would you tell yourself in the past, maybe five, 10 years ago um, financially? And, and this can't be anything like, hey, invest in Amazon, it's a winner. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would have been it. <laughs> Get that Amazon stock. Um, that's a good question. I mean, maybe I would tell myself, like, live a little bit more, because I have shared probably, like, just how frugal, frugal is how most of my friends would describe me. And there's a difference between frugal and cheap. So I'm not cheap. I'm just frugal. So I think there might be times where I would say to myself, live a little because you are young, you are making smart financial decisions in other areas. Um, So live a little and don't be afraid of like spending your money, if you will, because you can't take it to the grave. And yeah, I mean, I just got a 401k, what, five years ago? So maybe I would have said start that earlier. yeah, I think just learn as much as you can. And that's what I would have said to myself. Just like, keep learning. I, I love that. Well, first of all, would it, one thing I would say, start your 401k as soon as you start your job. <laughs> start that. But then secondly, I really love what you said first about, you know, don't be too frugal. Don't be, you've got to enjoy the journey. You know, as we're on a journey to these financial goals, we've got to enjoy, we've got to enjoy ourselves too. And we've got to say it's okay to spend money on things I value. It's okay, Robin. You've worked hard. You save hard. Enjoy it a bit because you don't want to just all work and no play makes uh, Jack or Jane a dope girl or boy. So, <laughs> yes. I think it's important that you know we we can sit like you know I I value time with my family. I don't feel bad about taking time off for work to go out yeah. to Monterey and just hang out for a weekend. I don't feel bad about that at all. 
and I can't guilt her myself into not doing it because then I'll be miserable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so coming close to the end of the podcast here. And one thing you didn't mention when I asked about what you do for a living is CBE and we'd be remiss to not mention that. So let's talk about that a bit, what it is, how people can get involved they want to and what your overall mission is there. Yeah, um, so I guess, yeah, I didn't mention my non-paying, my passion projects even beyond health and wellness, even though that is my focus there too. Um, but I, I like to be involved in my community and do volunteer work. So one of the organizations that I'm involved with um, is called the Coalition of Black Excellence, CBE for short, cbenonprofit.org is the website. Um, and it's an organization started by one of my really good friends, Angela Johnson. She's the founder and really um, the mission is really about building and promoting and inspiring the collective black community. So it's all about helping black businesses, um, helping professionals, whether you're in the beginning stages or further along in your career to really find opportunities for education, advancement, um, partnering with corporate companies to, you know, support the mission of CBE. And so every year we have CBE week, which is in February, um, coming up in 2021, it'll be virtual. So we're excited about that because we're not going to let COVID stop the mission. Um, and that'll be, yeah, programming around just different topics that are relevant to our community. Um, it does involve topics along, you know, entrepreneurship, health and wellness, um, tech, all of that, um, policy, government. So it's really just, uh, I think the beautiful thing about it is a lot of like conferences are so um, focused on one specific topic, um, but CBE really sees that there's opportunity to cross collaborate. And it's one of the few that I know that's a cross sectoral um, community. So it's bridging the gap between all of these different pro professionals across industries to share talents. So, you know, if you're a financial advisor, you may benefit from a early college grad or a, a near retirement professional, right, who's looking for your services, or perhaps there's some educational training you want. The whole goal is to really form those connections and offer educational opportunities. So I've been involved with CBE since started in 2017. The first CBE week was in 2018. And yeah, it's, it's a good organization. So definitely um, attend the virtual summit. We do monthly programming right now during COVID. It's all virtual. So that's kind of the cool thing. Like, uh, it's not just specific to the Bay Area right now. Um, and yeah, I know we'll be looking for like speakers and companies to get involved, volunteers. So um, the website's the best place to get connected or Instagram, Experience CBE, Facebook, LinkedIn, Experience CBE, and then cbenonprofit.org. So yeah, okay. good, good work. <laughs> Super excited about that. I think it's awesome what you're doing. I can't wait to get involved. I'll leave uh, in the show notes, I'll leave connect, uh, I'll leave, um, contact information, link to the website, link to all the uh, social media platforms, and hopefully people get involved and support or at least benefit from being there. Yeah, it's an all-volunteer organization, so I'm one of maybe, like, I think there's no more than 30 of us that volunteer, so everybody who's involved is really passionate and dedicated to the, the work, which is cool. That is real cool. So, yeah. last 
last uh, last question of the podcast. So um, this is a podcast about financial success. Yep. And as I mentioned, their financial success looks different to everybody at different stages of their life. But Robin Cross today, in a few words, how do you describe financial success? And I don't like to think of it from a dollar amount, but more of a quality of life. So yeah. what, is, what does that look like for you, financial success? Robin Cross today, 2020. <laughs> I mean, I think it's financial freedom, lack of financial worry. So for me as frugal or, you know, money conscious about my savings as I am, for me, I think, yeah, my philosophy is really about just being so comfortable that I don't have to ever worry about money and not frivolous in the sense that I, you know, spend it and don't think about it, but literally that I have what I need and I'm able to support other causes that I believe in as well. So having just enough and then having the freedom to live comfortably, you know, if I have kids one day, my family, we're all comfortable. Like that's what I care about is comfort. That's what money brings. I enjoy that. That's a great answer. Um, summed up in one word, comfort. <laughs> yeah. Able to provide and live the lifestyle you want as well as support the cause that you're passionate about. And that, that's, a great, that's a great definition of financial success. I really enjoyed interviewing you today, Robin. I enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thanks so much for, having, for being a guest. Thank you for having me. This was fun and, you know, allowed me to think about some things with money that I didn't necessarily give much thought to before. So I'm excited to hear some of the other guests you've interviewed and hopefully uh, learn from their stories too. So thank you. Yeah. And I hope um, everyone listening found some value in this. You guys have a great day. Tune in next week. God bless. Congratulations, guys. You've officially made it to the disclosure portion of the show. I'm an investment advisor representative of securities offered through Bertha Fisher & Company, Financial Services, Inc., BFCFS member FINRA-SIPC. Holmes Financial is independent of BFCFS. Thanks, and have a blessed week.